0: It's one that God has been putting on my heart for some time. And so if you have your Bibles, won't you please turn to Matthew chapter nine? Matthew chapter nine verse thirty-five. Matthew chapter nine verse thirty five. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've had this verse going through my mind the last couple of weeks and it was included in um, the, the prayer booklet for this week. And I was struck by a couple of things this morning that I'm going to share with you. The first is that when he says this phrase, this famous phrase, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he doesn't say it to the crowds, he says it to his disciples. Now, that's really important. Sometimes Jesus, he had a massive following at this stage of his ministry, and he would call out to the crowd. He would say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It was a public invitation. It was a call to anybody who could hear. But when Jesus says this line, he turns to those who are following him. He says, guys, the harvest, it is plentiful. It is ripe. And what we got to do, because the, ha- the laborers are few, we got to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This commission to notice the ripeness of the field and the plentiful harvest and to pray for workers, it's ours, it's the church, it's nobody else's. It's the call to the church to be moved for what's moving the heart of God. And the problem, as you can see, and I'm sure you've heard many sermons on this before, the problem or limiting factor is not the harvest out there. That's not the problem. The problem is the limited workers. And this morning... The laborers that Jesus talks about, the workers, it's you and me. And I felt God say to me this morning, he gave me a picture that in every single person here this morning, there is a deposit of purpose from him. It's there in your heart. It's a deposit of purpose. And it is of enormous value. Can I tell you, this church is basically a composite of these deposits of purpose in you. It's not the leadership. It's not the preacher. It's not the program. It is the purpose that God has deposited in your heart. You are the church. And the church moves forward as God awakens that deposit in you. You see, he doesn't say, guys, it's the preacher's responsibility to thrust forth the workers. He doesn't say it's as the worship team is thrust forth. No, no, no. He says to the disciples, plural, if you love Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's you this morning. He has put in you a treasure, a deposit of purpose. And this church moves forward as that purpose is awakened. And the job of us as your leadership Is simply to steward that and what does that mean in Acts chapter 6 the church had a need that arose a ministry was in need and there were aspects of of shortfall in the church and the people come to the Apostles and say guys we've got a problem here and the leadership doesn't say to them well we'll solve it we will be your solution we will be what you need in this no no instead of the church in you There's purpose in you. Within you, God is raising up somebody for the hour, for this thing. And so the purpose of us as leaders this morning, it's very important you understand this. We are simply here to do three things. The first is we are here to be engaging. In other words, God has placed us here to be approachable, to be interested, available and concerned for the church and you. But we are not the the be-all and end-all of this church. We are simply here to engage with you so that when God awakens that deposit of purpose in you, we're engaged. See, I feel God saying this to me. Can I come tell you about it? What do you think about this for the church? And the leadership is close. The leadership is near. The leadership is close to the heartbeats of the people and they're approachable and available. And our call is to serve you. That when this deposit of purpose is awakened, we're there for you. We're there to shepherd and pastor. But the passion and the purpose is coming from you. The second thing we are called to do as leaders is that we are called to empower you. When these guys came to these apostles in Acts chapter 6, they said, you go find the person. You find the team. You put them together. And what we will do is... We'll give you the freedom to do it and to check everything's okay. And what we'll do, the third thing, is we'll encourage you. We'll bring you up before the church. We'll lay hands on those that you've selected and we'll commission them. That's our job to engage, to empower, and to encourage. And the result of Acts chapter 6 is what will happen in this church is that as these deposits of purpose are stewarded well, we're going to see growth. The word of God will increase, and the number of disciples will be multiplied. And what you'll notice in the next session is that we are not going to bring to the church a direction that is narrow, that is detailed that is highly focused, what you will notice in the next session is there are going to be broad strokes of what we feel God's saying. Because we believe there's a big bandwidth for God to call out purpose in this church in response to it. And so we might not have the detailed A, B, C, D, E, F, G of how this is exactly going to look, but that's how it's supposed to be. Because the nature of this church is defined by you, not us defined by what he calls out in you, not us. You are the church. And we are simply a composite of what purpose he places in you. Now, what has to happen is the purpose is there. First of all, I hope you believe that. Do you believe Jesus this morning that there is a deposit of purpose in you? Megan, do you believe that? She's always a bit awkward. Because if you don't, the rest of the sermon won't matter. What God is asking is for faith this morning, that you believe that as a disciple, he's deposited something in you, and he wants to call it out. But the problem is, it's going to stay dormant until something happens in you. The unlocking of this purpose requires a work of the Spirit. I was struck by Jesus' solution to the problem. He says, There's this massive shortfall. This huge harvest is plentiful. The shortfall is the worker. The number of laborers. What does he say that we have to do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. His answer is prayer. Why on earth would there be an answer of prayer to a problem? Well, whenever prayer is required, it's because it requires a spiritual intervention. Notice Jesus doesn't say, let's get a GLS video up there, motivational talk, some leadership development, and a kick in the pants, and off we go. Notice he doesn't make them feel so guilty. You know, my under-9 soccer coach, I had this vivid picture. He used to shout from the side of the field, useless, useless. If you kicked the ball out, he was the most motivational coach there ever was. (laughs) He could have said, you laborers, you lousy bunch, Useless! He could have said, you bunch of babies. What are you so scared of? Don't you see me? I'm taking all the flack here. I'm healing. I'm casting out demons. I'm preaching. And you guys are just coming and watching the ride. Can I confess, I preached like that. So much guilt. God says, No. Pray, pray earnestly because the Spirit takes the lead of the Father and the Son. Don't you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says, In the beginning was God. And what was hovering over the deep? Remember this word, Howie? It's the Spirit. And when the command from heaven comes and the Father says, Let there be light, boom, the Spirit comes and suddenly there is light. That's how it works. When the Father summons a life, it is the working of the Spirit. My friend, when the Spirit hits a person's life, they are never the same. In the Alpha Course, when we do being filled with the Spirit, this Catholic priest said, whatever the the Spirit touches, it changes. Pray. And the sending forth, it is the awakening work of the Spirit in a person's heart. It is the command of a Father summoning His people. And only He can do it. And therefore, only he can be appealed to. Church programs will not do it. Motivational talks won't do it. Not even training. Pray. And the Greek word for that sending out, it's ekbalo, which is to eject, to drive out, to thrust, to expel. It is so strong. It is so propelling. And we've been praying this week that God will be doing that in hearts. But the problem is we don't necessarily recognize how it comes. You see, I grew up for many years. And as a pastor, you're pretty motivated to have a motivated people because in your flesh, it looks good. That's how it works. Go, 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 go. Because the more you go, oh man, the more I'm successful. And I used to pray in a way until this week that God would strong arm his people into service. So i do, thrust them, drop, kick them into the goal, send them forward, let them be feeling like the whole wrath of God is spurring them on. But Matt, I felt God say, Matt, that's not how I work, my boy. You see, this awakening of purpose in you is not God's strong arming you into anything it doesn't work and the perfect picture of it is Jonah remember Jonah I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to them Jonah says heck no and off he runs and he gets onto a ship to go to Tarshish and what happens God has to strong arm him he goes through a storm he gets swallowed by a fish Eventually, he's vomited out three days later. What an awful experience. If ever there was a reason to serve God, is to be stuck in the belly of a fish for three days. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches to Nineveh. God does a revival work. 200,000 people are saved. Jonah's sitting sulking outside the city. If God has to stronghold arm you to do something, it's grace to show you where your heart is see, the story of Jonah is not just about Nineveh. The story is about Jonah. The story is about showing Jonah his own self-righteous heart, that somehow he was better than these Ninevites. And he said, Jonah, your your country, Israel, I just need to tell you something. It has had the hardest heart towards me of any of them. One sermon from Nineveh, and they've fallen on their face, repenting. Hundreds of years of sermons to you, and your people's heart's hard. Strong army doesn't work. And if God is doing that to you, it's his grace. Not so much about the purpose of what has to be done. He can use anybody else. He doesn't need you and me. It's to expose your heart. How does he work? Oh church, it's something beautiful. It's when the spirit breaks your heart with compassion. It is experiencing a godly brokenness for what's on his heart. And this is why Jesus says, I'm doing everything. In verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw with the eyes of God. He saw the need. He saw his ministry purpose. There it is before him. These people need a leader. I'm the leader. I've got to go. And the reason why the disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so slow on the uptake is because their hearts were so hard. When God starts to move in your life and awaken that deposit of purpose, he brings in a godly brokenness for that specific need he's calling you to. You hear me? The mark of the anointing of the Spirit is brokenness. What's the first characteristic in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Until you have a broken, compassionate heart for what God is doing or laying before you, the kingdom of heaven's closed. May I say this? Until you are broken by your own sin, your heart has humbled you before God because you can see by the help of the Spirit that you need Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is closed. The mark of the Spirit is a godly brokenness. And in this place, it is what will call you into your specific ministry. Juliet, I saw you. Where's Juliet? Juliet is the perfect example of this. Juliet has adopted two beautiful children. God has given her a compassion, a passion for children who need parents and to provide loving homes for these children. So she decides she's not the only one that needs encouragement and support to do this. So what does she do? she puts up her hand and said, guys, could I start an adoption support group for these parents? Brilliant! When Sims told me, I was like, that's fantastic! Why did that come about in the church? Because God has broken her hearts for this area. You might be asking, what is God asking me to do? Specifically, is where is your heart soft and tender? When you see it, you just go my heart breaks for that, I'm so passionate to see that thing changed, to see that thing ministered into, and for us this morning, it will be different, and that's the crazy thing, when you start to share about what God's putting in your heart, other people don't share that passion, (laughs) they'll start to talk about, "Um, I don't know, that's great, you're quite zealous about what you're after, but go for it, because it's yours, and when you start to speak about your passion, it starts to attract those that have the same passion. It starts a move of God. It's centered around a compassionate work of the Spirit, drawing His people around a need that God sees and He's calling us to minister to. And for some, it will be women's ministry. Where's Corin? Corin has a heart for women. I said to her this week, we chatted on the phone, I said, Corinne, what is God doing in that heart of yours about women? Some of us, it's men, Michael Stevens put up his hand last week and said, I feel a passion for the men in this church that we need to be ministering to them. That's what God is doing in him. What is God doing in you? Is it children? Is it young mothers? Is it the sick? Is it the poor? Is it marriages? Is it full-time ministry? May I say to you, you are not called to full-time ministry until your heart is broken for the people you have to serve. The trouble with us young guys is that we think that this pulpit is some access to preach good sermons that get applause or hits online. That's not the ministry. The ministry is being broken with a heart for you. Eldership. The call of eldership is does that man have a heart for the church? The call of the deacon. Does that man have a passion? To, or woman have a passion to serve the church? We don't go into the offices of this church just for reputation or because we get access to kind of exercise our gifts. It is a brokenness for what God calls us to do. What are you stirred with? Don't wait till you're 32. Youth, what are you stirred with? Nateska, what are you stirred with? Because in this place, if you are a disciple, God has deposited purpose in you. And I put it to you, if you don't know yet, you follow Jesus' instruction. You pray that the Lord of the harvest would send you. It will be specific for your life. It will lead to a new work like Juliet in the church. It will allow God to start ministering to a city in a way that only Sterling Baptist is called to. But it also will do something else. It's not just for specific ministry, it is for universal ministry. And universal ministry plays out in two ways. When we pray, would you send forth the laborers, God, we are asking God to break our hearts for those who are lost. Those who have wandered far from Jesus, wherever we work, live and play. You see, you don't have to know specifically what God is calling to you. You know you're called to serve the lost. But what will make you do it is not me telling you to do it. What will make it first on your mind will not be the eight steps to evangelism explosion. Those can be helpful, but they only harness the heart. The heart has to be inspired by the Spirit. So, when you go into where you work, live, and play, the first thing on your mind is what's on your heart. Where are these people with Jesus? When God begins to awaken purpose, everything is meaningful. When God begins to stir your heart by the Spirit and you allow Him to come and let the Spirit touch your heart in response to this prayer, watch that space. Every conversation, every ounce or cent of your money, your time with your family, everything in life begins to touch with the stirring of God. How are you calling me to minister and love those that you're placing around me? It flows from a broken heart, a heart of compassion. Can I put it like this? Passion only flows from compassion. You see, what the Pharisees could see was only criticism. They could only see the reasons why people were the way they were. It was their fault. But when Jesus sees, because his heart has been broken by the Spirit, he sees him as harassed, helpless, leaderless. He gets it. And until the Spirit breaks your heart, we excuse brokenness instead of engaging it. It will also give us a love for the church. It is universal. God calls us to love this body and each other. You don't have to ask what I need to be or where I need to be. You need to be right here regularly. These people are whom God has given you. I'll finish with this. Some encouragements. You see, sometimes what happens is God stirs our hearts, but we don't want to go. Anybody experience that? Hey, God put something on your heart? You don't want to do it. There's a couple of reasons for that. The first is we can be intimidated and fearful. Can I tell you why? Because often when God breaks your heart, you're the first person who sees the need. Sometimes you rally with somebody. Somebody stands in the congregation and they put their hand up and say, this is what we believe it needs to happen. And you go, yes, I'm with you. It can happen like that. But often, often the way God does it is nobody else is doing it yet. That's why there's a need. And you're kind of going, Can I tell you, embrace it. That's why they're elders, they will pray with you. They will discern with you. Your job is to say, God, I'm putting you to the test. I'm going. You might be fearful of God, what God might require you to do. You might be fearful that you're not up to it or competent or sufficiently resourced. You might be saying, who am I to go? You might not have the detailed plan. You might even face certain oppositional obstacles. But can I tell you this? God, who is calling you, is the Lord of the harvest. In other words, He's not just in full authority over this church, He's in full authority of what's outside there. And what God is summoning you is not unknown to Him, He's not out of control. It's not somehow dependent on your brilliance, or your expertise, or somehow you've got to make this happen. No, no, the call has come to you because he's in authority over your life. But don't forget, he's in authority over everything, over the harvest, over the church. So as you put your hand up, he's saying, you're going in my authority. I will be sufficient for you because everything submits to me, not you. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now go. There is nothing out of Jesus' grasp or gaze. And so if the excuse is this morning, that somehow you're insufficient or unsure, I'm telling you, if God is calling you, you've got to do it. Because he's not calling you in your strength or your authority or capacity. He's calling you on his. Wow. Secondly is this, is that God is asking you to only go where he's already at work. It says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Do you know how much work it is to get a harvest? You've got to plow. You've got to plant. You've got to sow. You've got to water. You've got to weed. You've got to watch. But he's already said, the harvest is ripe. What are you going into? I've already gone before you. Don't think you're starting the work. You're coming to complete it. I've gone ahead of you. And what will happen is if you put up your hand and say, God, I'm going to do it, watch him. He's prepared the way for you already. People start giving. People start volunteering. People start rallying. Suddenly, it starts becoming a cry. Your cry becomes other people's cries because he's already been working in hearts. But you're the one who stood up and said, I'm going to go. May I say this? My last point. The field is more ready than you think. And I feel God saying to us this morning, put me to the test. The field is ripe. It is plentiful. And if we go after what he places in our hearts to do for him, the results will be better than we've ever expected. Because he's been going ahead of us. Can I ask you this morning to stand with me? I'm going to do something in faith now that I believe, whatever you want to call it, prophetically, that God is asking. So I'm going to pray in this place that God would awaken that purpose in us. That our hearts leaving this place will never be the same again. And for some of us, that heart has grown cold. I'm going to pray for a reawakening I'm going to pray that those words that God gave you years ago would come back like a deer in the midst of headlights. Are you ready? Let's stretch out our hands to him. Lord, in obedience, in obedience to your word, we pray earnestly this morning. Earnestly, Lord. That God... You will send forth the laborers. God, I pray in this place you would awaken purpose. Those deposits in each of these lives. Would you breathe Holy Spirit and bring a raging fire of call here in this place. And I pray that we would be courageous. No fear of brokenness here. No fear of the Holy Spirit coming and putting whatever he wants on our hearts. I pray for courage, Lord. I pray this morning for there to be an awakening in this place that would bless you in this city, that would awaken new ministries, that would awaken new fervor, that would awaken new passion for what you're calling us to do. We ask this in faith, Lord, we're trusting you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.